we're in uh, week four of our, our Godhead series, and in this series we've been examining uh, the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, we examined a very powerful and healing topic about the fact that God uh, gives us our identity, and we find our identity in Him, how God chooses us adopts us, redeems us, and seals us with the Holy Spirit. Today we begin the uh, first week of the second person of the Trinity, and his name is very personal and very uh, familiar to us. His name is Jesus. He's called by many other names in the Scripture and fulfills many uh, roles for us throughout our lives. And so there are two names and roles that we'll look at, that of friend and that of mediator. And the last one, or the first one as friend is, is often overlooked, or I think maybe the world has made trite or sappy. Where would we be, you think for a moment, without friends? Think for a second about your friends specifically, people you do life with. When it comes to friends, there is a lot of choosing, isn't there? You choose, they choose. And when I think of my friends, I smile and think about the fact that they know what is best for me. They're amazing people. They want to hang even with this guy. We need friends. In his book titled On Being a Friend, Dr. Eugene Kennedy, a psychology professor at Loyola University, lists several reasons why he feels Americans are finding it difficult to form friendships. And some of the reasons include, uh, yeah, a, my, a high mobility of families, but there's a rapidly changing social and technological function in the United States and around the world. He said there seems to be an obsession with superficial things. He says there's a primary cause of a friendless society is the emphasis that most Americans put on self and consumerism. Take, 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 take. He states that most Americans are unwilling to make the effort or sacrifices necessary in forming close and lifelong relationships. How many close friends do you have? Are there people you can turn to in a time of need and you know that they will be there for you? Do they build you up in tough times, especially support you when you find out maybe you've had some difficulty that's very challenging that you have kept just to yourself? I was at uh, Little Miami a couple weeks ago preaching, and I, I was preaching on the rut, and I talked about the fact that friends, it was almost a prelude to the sermon, but I said there's certain negative relationships in our life, and they could be really bad friendships that keep us in a rut. And I stood up on the chair, and I tried to lift up one of my friends, and then I said, okay, now pull me down, and it was easier for him to pull me down out of that chair than it was for me to try to lift that person up. You see, friends and choice of friends are so, so vital. 
Every human being needs at least one close friend. And many studies show it's important for our health and our happiness. According to that current research, having good friends is, is helpful to our immune system or for our immune system. And people who have friends are sick less often than those who have no friends. They live longer. They are happier. When the National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago asked Americans to name people whom they discussed important matters over the past six months, those who could list five or more friends or acquaintances were 55% more likely to have a joyful life, a very happy, content life, than those who could not name a single one. Ecclesiastes knows how important it is and expresses that to have a friend when life seems to be unkind. He wrote in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, If one falls, he shall be supported by the other. Woe to the one who is alone, for he falls and he has no one to lift him up. Jesus is our friend. And like I said before, I know that can sound trite and sappy, and it was hard for me to wrap my brain around that because I typically think of Jesus as King of Kings, Lord of Lord, coexistent with the Father at the beginning of creation, and, and all supernatural. But I think when you look at the Gospels and you look at how he expressed true friendship to his followers, there was nothing superficial about it. He was both sacrificial as a friend and eternal in teaching them the promises of God. There's a deep desire in God for close and personal relationship. Amazing interaction and intimacy in Jesus Christ is ours to behold and have every day. In John's gospel, he gathers with his disciples for the Last Supper. And in this section, he begins by taking off his outer garments and kneeling before them and washing those dirty feet. And he's showing them what it means to truly serve as a servant. And when he got up from that table, he began to tell them many, many things. And he showed his love for them in those words. I believe he was moving them for, from thinking that they were servants of him, to becoming really deep friends as he was telling them so many things before he went to the cross. And he talks about what is to come on the cross is going to be ex the expression of the greatest love ever shown in time. And he's going to lay down his life for the sins of the world and reconcile all people unto himself. And while they're still at the table, Jesus shares these words with the disciples from John 15, 12 through 15. He said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. In this passage, Jesus begins with commanding his follower to love as he loves. It makes sense to me. Think about it for a second. It's all about reputation. If you're a disciple, he's commanding you to love, to represent his love in this world to others. Because the world is hurting 
and desires friendship. And he existed for the benefit of others. And we are to do the same. And that is why he's commanding us to love. Look at the cross. Think about the cross just for a moment. It's the greatest symbol of love. Yeah, I like the hearts. I've never put hearts to dot an I. But I'll put a heart there for my wife in the morning to leave her a note. But the cross is the greatest symbol of love and friendship. A few verses earlier, Christ says, Greater love has no one in this than for he to lay down his life for his friends. And that is exactly what he he does. He did. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for me. And the wondrous things about what he said is is that his words matched his deeds. Christ is willing to make this sacrifice. And that's really at the core of what true friendship is. And obviously he believes that they are worth it and we are worth it. Belief is the best kind of love. Great friends believe in you. Christ believes in you. Christ believes in us. And that's the message of the cross. Christ believes in us so much that he made the ultimate investment in us to lay down his life on our behalf. And the cross, this greatest symbol, shows us that we are indeed God's friends. And Jesus chooses friendship with us. Christ says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And he chooses us to be a part of his family. Unlike the way we form relationships, Jesus chooses relationship whether we like him or not. (laughs) He chooses relationship with us, and it's there. It's for us to behold and have. It's a radical act that gives us permission to either accept or reject his offer. We have the capacity to choose friendship with the one who never leaves, rejects, or disappoints, the one who is always faithful. And he acts and shows us in his deed and sacrificial love that he can be a very intimate, close friend. And all we have to do is open up our hearts to that friendship. In Scripture, did you ever notice that, if you look at it, this little detail, that Christians were called friends before they were called Christians. In the New Testament, It was in Antioch that the first disciples were called Christians, long after his death and resurrection. It was Jesus who said, I called you friends. And before anything else, he calls us friends. And we can't reject that friendship. And we see that, that he calls the people around him who are following him, or even who are thinking, maybe I do want to follow him. He actually eats with them in those hurting people, broken people, broken people, and not so perfect people. I love the story of Zacchaeus. And a lot of times I go back uh, to it because I just think that it is so, so cool. It's a story of how Jesus gives us evidence of his choosing and who he wants to hang out with. It says he, Jesus entered into Jericho and he was passing through and there was this man named Zacchaeus He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. 
So he came down at once, he welcomed him gladly, and all these people began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. The story of Zacchaeus shows us that Jesus wants to be with anyone, especially those who are deemed sinners by people who murmur and are filled with religiosity, as I like to call it. And Jesus chooses to be with him. In fact, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. I want to give you permission, and you can tell people this if they ask you, what? I think it's okay to ask people if you can just come over (laughs) to their house. It's okay to ask yourself over to people's house. Just do it. I used to do it all the time. When I was a kid, I used to knock on my friend's door. Hey, my older brothers won't play with me. Can I come in and play Coleco or Atari? And they would, yeah, or whatever. I was a pesky, toe-headed kid that would run around inviting myself into people's houses. And sometimes I still do it today. Hey, man, what's up? I want to hang out. Kim's grading papers. She needs quiet. Can I come over, man? I want to hang with you. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' house. And they must have hung out together, sitting down and talking. Why? Because Zacchaeus comes to this epiphany of repentance in this newfound friendship where Jesus invited himself into his life. And he says, look, Lord, he stands up and he says, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And he was very wealthy. He was a chief tax collector, which means he was very good at his job, but he went way beyond the biblical standard of repentance. Why? Because Jesus came into his life And sat and dined with him. And that relationship probably became mutual. You see, Jesus gets up, and I think with a joyful pulse racing, he hugs his new friend and says, salvation has come to this house. But he's really saying, this guy is saved. He is well on his way to being good because of his new friendship with me. And he chooses. He he chose that. And folks, he chooses us. And what, what do we find? That our life is no longer the same, that we have eternal transformation within the parameters of that friendship. And it makes us so, so much better. You know, friendships seem to come and go. Friendships sometimes dissolve for one reason or another, but friendship with Jesus Christ is eternal. It is. Check out this scripture. John 14, 1 through 3, says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. So like I said, this friendship's eternal. Uh, Your eternal life is secure in this friendship. This is a togetherness statement. When his disciples first heard these words, I think they had images come to their mind about the thought of a future groom building an addition onto their father and mother's house in preparation for togetherness in this newly formed family, that he was going to bring that bride home to that addition. Rooms added on. Whole families being together in close proximity. You know, that happens a lot out in the country. 
There's a lot of farmers that have a lot of land, and they'll give sections of land to their children. Why? Because they want them to build a house close to their house so that they can be with those grandkids and their kids. And you see it today. And this is kind of like that. Everybody wanting to be close. And the imagery here is not some mansion over the hilltop in isolation eternally. This is togetherness, that there's a preparation of togetherness that is eternal with you and me and him. And it awaits us. It's one of those friendship promises that's very powerful. So how do we cultivate this friendship with Jesus? Because friendships need to be cultivated, don't they? How do we cultivate? We, I think we have to start by expanding our vision of him. I think we can keep Jesus in a box. But we have to realize that, that the first thing is, is he, he's a great friend to all, even those who see themselves as unworthy. <laughs> he do, desires to draw near to the suffering and remains committed in our stumbling. <laughs> This morning, I don't know, you may not feel worthy of being his friend. Maybe you see them as, him as holy other, king of kings, lord of lords. But that's, not, that's one part of it, but it's, it's not what he desires ultimately and intimately in you. He loves us more deeply than anyone else could ever. And he wants us to come to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 30 says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I think many Christians get into that habit or even rut of trying to live their Christian lives according to rules and regulations. You see, this rhythm is a freedom, grace rhythm that we can have committed in intimacy with him. It's not burdensome. It's to be a relationship of joy. It has to be a relationship where he wants uh, living waters, (laughs) rivers of life springing up from us, abundant life in him. And that can only happen, I believe, in intimacy with him as a friend. It cultivates a freedom and a grace that should abound in our lives. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, This is the love of God that you should obey by commandments. And his commandments, they're not burdensome or grievous. He's telling them, if you remain in my love and do what I ask, you're going to have a joy filled, and your joy will be found complete in me. And it'll spill over to other people. It will. You know, I think as when you first think of commands and obedience, it sounds like harsh words. However, I have learned that joyful obedience to Jesus out of sheer love brings, I know to me, stability. Life's not going, woo, woo, roller coaster of, woo. Stability and joyful obedience takes place as we remain and abide in him. And that happens with friendship. We find that it's not duty or performance driven. It is in him and through him as friend. It's finding that there is someone that indeed loves us and knows exactly what is best for us. And I know I want to remain and grow in that love. And through surrender and joyful obedience, I find that this world, the navigation of this world, it is. 
it's much, much easier. <laughs> Next, we have to remember that relationship thrives with conversation. Have you ever just poured out your life to someone? I mean, just to your friends or your buddies. You put it all on the table, and that person loves through listening and just sitting Talking daily with Christ and, and thanking him and confessing sin to him and sharing burdens with him will do that. It will alleviate and help, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit will help us. We don't report as servants, but as expectant guests ready to experience that deep intimacy. We have six habits here at, at Anderson Hills, and one of the habits is spending time with God. You ever just spend time with God? You can go anywhere to do that. I like this chair. I have my coffee. And I just sit there and listen and talk. Spending time with God. That's one of our habits. Having that sacred space set aside to just be loved on. Jesus shows us also how to be a friend. As his followers, he shows us how to be a great friend. Someone once said that there are friends and then there are friends. And we have to sort out what we call a friend or an acquaintance or a chum or a buddy or a colleague or a business associate or neighbor. There are fair weather friends, but there are those who hang on when there's hardship. Real friends, they show up and they stay with us in trying circumstances, in the storms of life, an illness or a death or loss of job or crisis. They can stay with us and maybe not even say anything, but just be present. You know, Jesus shows us how to be a friend. He says he learned it from the Father. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And how can we, with all of our failings, uh, love people like Jesus said to do? And it has everything to do of abiding and remaining in that love and spending time with him and reading his word. I think it has a ripple effect. <laughs> it sends ripples out as living water just pours out of us and spills over onto others and just comes alongside our friends and just makes their day. When we receive Jesus, I think when we, we're able to understand people better because he understands people better. When we receive Jesus, we're able to forgive people we are, to make allowance for their frailties. And we do that by remaining in his love. The church tells us that we are Christ's friends. What is the church? It's a community of friends in Jesus Christ. And think about it, the church is one of the greatest gifts that Christ ever gave besides salvation and eternal life. He gave us the church. He gave us adoption together in a family. And the church is, church is the greatest exponential adoption agency in the history of time. Look around you. Just look around. You might have some of the best friends sitting 15 feet to the northwest of you. It's that way. We have each other. I believe that Christians are to be the best friends anyone could ever have because we're connected with him. To be a real friend of someone, it may be laying down our life at difficult times where we just want to maybe stay into self. But we see through his sacrificial love that we are called to exist for the benefit of others. 
willingness to give our time, to be able to put up with the idiosyncrasies that maybe someone has that absolutely just drives us up a wall. We have to go the way of Christ to show them God. How did Jesus love his disciples? He put up with their unbelief, their foolish pride. He put up with their slowness to understand. And at times, it was very exasperating for him. But he gave his life to it. He gave his life to them, and he wants to be with us. Revelation 3, 19 through 21 says this. And I want you to notice the way the words fall into place. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious, I sat down with my father on his throne. He knocks. He wants to come in and dine, hang out. Even, I think he even brings the food. Think about it. When you eat with people, you interact with them. You enjoy. And some of the amazing and most serious conversations I have ever had is around has been around the dinner table. And today, Jesus is knocking and calling. He's opening up friendship to us. He wants us to share in this relationship. You know, sometimes, though, and he talks about this at the beginning, is that friends tell us difficult things that we don't want to hear, but we need to hear. You ever had a friend like that? that loves you so much, that tells you something that you need to hear and do in that wisdom. That's what he says. I, I, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Come back to me. Take this friendship seriously and know that it will change your life. And now it's up to us to make that next move and accept that friendship that he offers and we'll find that we are indeed friends of God. And God is a friend to us. Let's pray together. God, today is the day of friendship you offer constantly to us. We see in Revelation you're knocking. You want to give us uh, your wisdom, your encouragement, words of life to help us live in your truth to help us to be able to love sacrificially in ways that we can't even fathom, to help us to be friends that are faithful and will never leave, that will stand in the gap. God, we just thank you for the fact that you desire to enter into our lives in a transformational way. And you send us. You send us to be representatives of your friendship and your love. God, we pray that you would help us in the relationships we have before, uh, before us now, that we would deepen and not fear, that we would be bold to ask, hey, can I come over, man? <laughs> or that we would ask, I really would like to be a friend of yours. And so, God, by the leadership of your Holy Spirit, Help us 
deep friendship with you and with each other. And we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, 